Hello and welcome to the Swimming Ideas Podcast. My name is Jeff and I will be your host for today. This is episode number 76, Central and Eastern States Swim Clinic. That's right, today we are talking about my experience at the Central and Eastern States Swim Clinic that was offered in Oakbrook on May 19th and 20th, 2018. Now, I had the opportunity to go to this clinic as part of my competitive swim team and I'm going to share with you my thoughts and feelings on speakers like Bob Bowman and other champions and Olympians. Let's get started. That's right. Today I'm talking about the Central State Swim Clinic that I just went to over the weekend on May 19th and 20th at uh, the uh, Marriott in Oakbrook. So it was a lot of fun. Um, Some pretty good speakers. I'm going to talk about three different people that spoke across four topics. Uh, The first one being Josh Davis, a three-time gold medal medalist and captain of the Team USA. Um, He was supposed to be speaking with Eddie Reese, who could not be there. Um, And then I saw two talks by Dr. Alan Goldberg from CompetitiveEdge.com. And he gave two really, really good talks. He gave one on um, getting your parents to work with you, not against you, and the psychology of swimming and how to kind of get into um, getting uh, uh, swimmers into a race mindset, which was really exciting and really uh, beneficial. Um, And then finally, Bob Bowman, my famous Michael Phelps coach, uh, who spoke on Sunday morning about his program with whatever swim team he worked with, MVNA or C or something like that. So um, I I just want to give you my thoughts on my experience at the swim clinic and kind of run through the key salient points um, through the lens of swim lessons and developmental swim teams. So A lot of what these people at this clinic were talking about were high-performance results. Um, They're famous for getting high-performance people into uh, the Olympics, into gold medals, and that's great. You know, that's fantastic. We should be studying those people and how they get there. You know, what do they do in their programs in order to get their swimmers uh, into the Olympics? And what struck me is that they weren't spending that much time talking about the beginners. Now, I think that's one for me, right? That's where my focus is. That's where your focus is. If you're listening to this podcast, how do you get someone hooked into swimming at an early age and then make them ready for success? And I believe, and and all of these talks reinforced one thing, and it's going to sound terribly arrogant. We're doing it the right way. Um, Everything that these experts in their Olympic success fields have indicated is that what we're doing at Swimming Ideas is validated and correct. What I do on my swim team when I'm coaching, I'm not perfect, um, but I'm aiming in the right direction. I have I am 
hitting most of these points that are coming up over and over and over again. And I really think that last year's podcast season with hosts like Megan Jolbert and um, who is a uh, sports psychologist, uh, she really opened up a lot of things. The podcast I had with Dominic Latella from The Swim Box, um, talking about breathing and how often you should breathe and how to control your floating and and what makes a good swim coach and how to teach effectively. Um, you can see both of our podcasts uh, that are live. Um, and even the podcast I did on meditation and how it applies to swimming. And it, again, it comes across. And Dr. Alan Goldberg hit on meditation as um, a way to get your your swimmers in the right mindset. And once I started implementing it with my groups, I saw a profound and lasting change in their performance, specifically at swim meets. So, um, I'm like I said, everything that we're doing, it was a very validating weekend um, to hear all these experts and high performance achievers basically outlining their specific bests and me thinking, oh my gosh, we already do this. You know, oh my gosh, I had a podcast about this very topic. Oh my gosh, we did that in practice the other day. Oh my gosh, I took Megan Jolbert's um, uh, prescription for how to deal with parents and applied it to my program and saw the results. And now I have Dr. Alan Goldberg, who's, whose talk on getting parents to work with you, not against you, literally validates that whole process. So um, I'm just, like I said, I'm just going to give you a run through of the, the most salient points that I found from this talk, uh, from these talks. Uh, and kind of give you, um, the distilled version. So you can get the benefit of having gone to the central States clinic, but not actually having been there. Uh, okay. So let's begin with, uh, John Davis. We'll just go in order that I've, I experienced them. So John Davis, Josh Davis, I'm sorry. Um, was an excellent speaker. He he's dynamic. He's funny. Um, he tells a lot of good stories. He had a, a, a very good rapport with the audience. Uh, and one of the most more important things that he uh, put on here, uh, gave out, he had a handout, and he was talking about how um, you need to have a drive to succeed. So uh, if you're aiming for excellence, one of the stories he told was he tried out for the swim team, uh, he, he worked really hard, he saw some Olympics, um, and decided, I'm going to be a swimmer. So he worked really hard, taught himself how to swim went to the tryout for his swim team and the, and he didn't make it. And the coach said to him, son, whatever you do, you're not going to be a swimmer. And, and, and he, the coach said that to him and I was like, Oh my gosh, what kind of moron would say that to a child? Like what's wrong with you? He was 12. You don't say that to someone. You say, well, here's where you're at. Here's where you, what you need to do to get where you want to go. Um, you know, and, and, and we can help you do that. Uh, we want to bring people into sport. If there's an interest there, if there's a, if they're trying out, especially as an 11 or 12 year old, there's an interest there that we want to fan the flame of. We want to foster that interest. We don't want to be turning them away. Those are, you know, it's a possibility. This guy didn't know how to swim until he was 12. And now he's a three time gold medalist in the Olympics. Um, he was one of the fastest, uh, freestylers. You can have, uh, success and profound lasting success even if you're starting as an 11, 12 year old, there's no reason we should be turning people away who want to join the swim team a little late. How often have we had as coaches, as swim instructors, 
people join swimming late and then go on to profound success either in high school season or when they're in college. Um, what you're doing as a eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, um, it's helpful, but it's not that important. Um, you can come into it later. You can, you can access it. You can, you can succeed later on. So that was one of his stories was if you have a drive, if you have an interest and you can get there. So, uh, he has this triangle of success and I'll, I'll take a picture of it and I'll put it on the show notes so you can get an idea. It's a little crumpled cause it was in my bag and I didn't put it in a folder, but uh, there's a triangle here and the bottom of the triangle is one of the most important things to do in order to succeed for your pyramid of success is to have attendance. You need to show up and you need to keep showing up. So, um, if you do it, if you spend time with it, if you persist, then you'll do well, right? So you have to be there and you have to continue being there. Don't miss practice. You know, um, one of my co-coaches likes to say, it doesn't matter if you're helping puppies or killing puppies, you're still not at practice. You could be the most wonderful reason to not be there or the greatest reason. The result is the same. You're not at practice. So if it's a priority, then you'll be at practice. You'll show up. Um, some of my notes I have on attendance uh, is in order to get like, what can, like, I always think like, oh, that's great. Like we can tell people what to do, but how do we get them to do it? You know, people don't just do things because you say go to practice. Like they have to be motivated. You have to pump those dopamine centers. Um, you have to um, get the the positive feedback, the, the feedback loop of enjoyment. So in order for people to actually uh, follow through with something they want, you're going to have to make them want to be there. Um, it's like video games. They, they stimulate a very specific dopamine center in your brain. So you keep doing the same repetitive thing over and over again, because it fires off this dopamine, this good feeling in your brain over and over again. Attendance show up. So, so my notes are, you got to make it fun. There, there has to be interest and excitement at practice at swim lessons in order to get people to want to come back. And that's why it's one of the key tenets of swimming ideas is fun and effective activities and games. Um, we want to make it interesting, challenging. Um, another another uh, note I have is we need to provide feedback. So we need to give our swimmers our attention and make them feel valued and respected. Um, and then they'll make them come to practice. They have to have progress, so they can't just stagnate. So always be challenging them with something new or interesting. Uh, it has to be interesting and challenging. So um, they need to have interest. It has to be, you can't just be doing uh, boring sets without a purpose, right? So Bob Bowman likes to talk about how he's a very boring coach. He does 8,000 yards in two hours, and it's like sets of 200s or thousands, you know, but my suspicion is maybe the activities themselves seem boring on their face, but what he demands of those activities or how he's phrasing those activities, you know, eight, two hundreds or something, there's dynamic, interesting challenges within that boring structure. So I suspect that uh, he's talking about effort. He's looking at um, interest and ability and nuance during those swims that supersede the boring nature of the set. So he's talking about not doing like a 20 step set with totally dynamic different things. Um, 
he has it a little more simple. So he's what he's aiming at is attention and focus. So and, and that's what I mean by interesting and challenging is you can do an interesting, challenging set of 450s for beginners, and it still has a purpose or, or an interest in it that is beyond just the boring nature of 450s, right? So you can do um, layer in some more challenges like aim your streamline for this amount, focus your ability on this skill. Um, you can do drills and stuff like that. So, um, but you want to keep it interesting. You want to keep them feeling like they're being challenged and engage not just their body, but their minds. Cause people get bored and if they're bored at practice, they're not going to come. Why would they come back? It's not fun. It's not interesting. They're bored. What's the benefit to them that, that you know, it's like, Oh, they're going to be good swimmers. Well, that's not always enough. You know, as a coach, as a swim instructor, we need to be challenging both their bodies and their minds. And we can do this through games, through activities, um, and progress and, and giving them interesting and challenging activities to do. Uh, so that's the base of the pyramid. The most important is attendance. You got to show up. Uh, the next one up is, uh, in order to succeed, not only do you have to have good attendance, but you need a good attitude or a perception for what you're doing. Um, or have gratitude. So what are you thankful for and what motivates you? So my notes here are um, attitude, perception, gratitude, and how loud do you say thank you? So um, this is perception. This is your behavior. This is your attitude towards your training and your attendance. So at practice as a swimmer, how are you uh, responding to the activities that you're doing? Are you looking at it with an opportunity in your mind? Are you saying, okay, I'm going to put some effort into this, this set because I know it's going to make me a better swimmer. Um, or are you thinking, oh man, the coach is giving me a crappy set again and I hate him. And so I'm not going to try really hard. Like obviously the person who looks at the opportunities to improve with gratitude and thanks, like, oh, this is such a great opportunity. I think I'm going to really benefit from this is obviously going to do much better in their uh, career as someone who is resentful and angry that they have to participate at all. Uh, So find out what motivates you as a swimmer and then do it. As a coach, I look at this as I'm not doing my job very well if my kids aren't interested or motivated to do well. Like I'm trying to aim them at through games, activities, structure, repetition, to give them the tools to succeed and and awaken in them a desire to do well. So I want them to want to get better. Like sometimes I tell the parents that, you know, I can open the door and I'm really going to do my best to encourage them to walk through, but ultimately I can't kick them through the door and make them a better swimmer. They have to want it and that starts with their attitude and perception. Is As they show up, I can drag them into being a better swimmer, but I can't force them through the door into actually embracing swimming and really loving it. That has to come with their attitude and their perception. So that's the second tier of the pyramid. The next tier is technique. Um, and my notes here are uh, to be obsessed with technique, so perfection and, and uh, their swimming. Um, and they have to make a habit of precision. So swimming is an expression of habit, in my opinion, uh, where uh, we demand very physically exacting motions. And if you don't have those precise, specific motions, then you're not going to be as efficient. You won't be as 
uh, good at swimming through the water, uh, and you're not going to have the technique that maximizes your muscles and, and efforts in the water. Uh, so you have to streamline. Like, and, and there's a reason. I was talking to my assistant coach the other day, and I'm talking about because um, he works with the high school kids, and my groups are the 5- to 12-year-olds that are beginning, right? And he helps out with me every now and then because we have, for whatever reason, our structure is set up that way. And I was talking to him and I was saying, you know, I'm super anal about streamline. Like my number one goal for my groups is that everybody learns a habit of streamline to the point where if they don't streamline, it should feel weird. Um, and I and I really get a big kick and you can hear my laughter here when I'm standing behind a lane and I'm watching people push off the wall. And I'm not necessarily watching for streamline because I expect it in my more advanced group. But when they push off and they don't streamline and they look at me and I just like frown at them, they'll stop and they'll be like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And they'll come back to the wall and they'll do push off and streamline. And and they do that because for the last year and a half, every time they push off the wall, I made them go back and do a streamline when I caught it. So so they know that streamline is important. They, they know that uh, they should be doing it. And, and it's a habit. It is a habit. And if you're skipping your streamline, you're not going to be an effective swimmer because it's really the most important part of your stroke. It's the fastest you're going to be. You're faster in streamline than you are um, swimming freestyle. You're faster in streamline underwater than you are on the surface. You know, you have to have this excellent precision. If you can't master this one tiny skill that just so happens to be the first thing we teach, then how can you master freestyle? How can you master butterfly or breaststroke or even more complicated strokes? So, you know, my number one goal is really in my groups is to make sure that everybody does a streamline um, by habit. And I know this is a, an uphill battle that I'm never going to win, but I know that it's worth the effort to invest in. And it drives me crazy when I see kids a year later in a different group, not streamlining. And I look at them like, what are you doing? And their coaches are on the other side of the pool. Uh, they're not enforcing streamline. And I'm thinking all that effort is wasted. So that, that, so I'm telling this assistant coach, I'm like, that's my one goal is to make it a habit. And he's like, yeah, there are kids that don't stream. I'm like, well, yeah, that's a problem because then they're not going to succeed because they're, I mean, they may do marginally. Okay. But they're not going to be excellent. They're not going to be stars. They're not going to be, um, wildly successful if you don't streamline. Uh, and this is another, uh, theme that comes up throughout all these talks is what you do in practice is what you do in a swim meet in competition. I'm going to get to that later. So it's important to make sure you streamline at practice, uh, which is the foundation upon which we, we orient all of our swim lessons. You need to be, um, I believe that our swim lessons should be structured in a way that uh, it it establishes habits early and immediately so that when they do continue with swimming, they already have that base, just like a pyramid of success. They're, they already have that understanding of what streamline is. So we work in streamline into our swimming. Streamline first and then do three strokes. Push off and streamline. Do that halfway between this bench and that bench and then swim the other half. It's built into our program in such a way that it already exists when they show up to swim team. So we're building that habit from the beginning. So if someone goes like the superstar seven-year-old we have who's breaking records and getting regional and state cuts as a seven-year-old, 
because he learned to swim with us when he was three and he went through our program and he knows you got to streamline at the beginning of everything. Everything you do, you push off the wall and streamline and then you swim. And when he was with me for three years, um, well, for a year and a half, five, five to six, five to six, I think he was with me. So for a year and a half that I had him, he moved through all of our groups and started getting regional cuts. Um, he started swimming on our swim team when he was five because he started in our swim lessons when he was three. Um, he succeeds because he's gone through the program. He's interested. He, he shows up. He has a good attitude. He has the attendance, the first tier. He has the attitude, the second tier. He has the technique, the third tier, because he's interested and motivated. He has a habit of it. He's precise. And then the, finally, the pinnacle of the pyramid, according to Josh Davis, this three-time gold medalist at the Olympics, he says that the top of the pyramid is integrity, uh, to have character and poise. Um, he su- suggests that your most valuable asset is your reputation and is your character. So how do you conduct yourself as a person? Are you a responsible, honorable person? Um, and I wrote in my notes here, the Japanese samurai. So if you've seen the movie, the last samurai, it's ridiculous. Um, Tom Cruise is a ridiculous character in that book or that movie. But I find very fascinating the times when he's a prisoner and he's writing in his journal and he's talking about the Japanese and he's talking about the samurai and he says, these people commit themselves in everything they do. They are dedicated. They are, um, they are single-mindedly focused on improvement and self-betterment and they are deliberate with all of their actions. And this requires a massive amount of, of mental energy and focus. And that's how you should be as a, your integrity. So um, if you are interested in succeeding and if you're interested in doing well, then you got to show up. You have to have a good attitude about when you're there. You have to be motivated. Your technique has to be on point. You have to work hard at improving your own ability. Look at yourself with a inward thing. What can I do to improve? How can I respond to the coach's feedback to get better at swimming? And if you cap it all with good integrity, a, a focus like the samurai, the Japanese from you know, the, this portion of the book here or the movie, then you're going to succeed. You're going to have a successful swimming life. Um, and there's some other things that Josh Davis talked about, but I was very interested in that. I really liked it because um, it, it gave me a good mindset on how you can be a, a high performance athlete. And it really validated a lot of the things that we're doing in our swim team, you know, um, make, uh, uh, encouraging people to show up encourage like our focus, like my goal for my swim team for my kids is that they, I want to instill in them a good attitude and a self motivation. I know that external motivation is only so effective and that an external motivation is much more effective. I want to give them perfect technique, not perfect, but aiming at perfect. I want to give them phenomenal ability. And I can do that through being obsessed with streamline, being obsessed with habit formation, being obsessed with precision, um, and giving them opportunities to fail. And so that they know what the difference between good swimming and bad swimming is. Uh, And then I want to encourage their integrity, their good behavior, uh, and honorable intentions. And, and we do that at swim meets and just in general day-to-day stuff. So the next thing I want to talk about, and that was Josh Davis's talk. Um, The next one I want to talk about is Dr. Alan Goldberg uh, from Competitive Edge. He was a tennis player. Um, He went on to, I don't really know his life story, 
Uh, I do know that he is a consultant now with competitiveedge.com. And he has some books specific to swim coaches on psychology and how to deal with, with high-performance athletes. He does consulting with people. He works with swim teams and parents and, and, and athletes. And the, his first talk was all about how do you get someone to perform well under stress? And it was particularly interesting because it really gave me a good idea on what I was doing really well with my developmental three group before I stopped coaching it. And again, like I said at the beginning of this, I, I, at the risk of sounding extremely arrogant, which I hope I'm not coming across of, um, I learned a lot from this podcast and from the people that I've been interviewing. And I've learned a lot from uh, talking about swimming all the time and, and reevaluating my process in order to give you, dear listener, um, an insight into someone else's experience. So Dr. Alan Goldberg, he talked about uh, the, the high-performing athlete and how to succeed in a race. And what he was talking about is there are three portions of the brain. There's the forebrain or the front brain, which is your thinking brain. This is the part of you that is aware of the piece of paper in front of you. It is aware of the book that you're turning the pages of. It's aware of um, how what food you're going to make and how you're going to make it. When you read, you're using your front brain. Uh, there's a middle brain, which I don't really remember very much. I think it's your emotional brain. So like your emotions, your feelings, um, things like anger and joy and love and excitement. And then there's a thing called the hindbrained, H-I-N-D, hind or rear brain. And this is your subconscious. This is your part of the brain that does things automatically. It's your expression of habit. It's your expression of reflex. Um, it's best described as your unthinking automatic subconscious. Um, so when you're in the shower and you are going through the, the ritual of washing your hair and you're relaxed and you're not thinking about anything and you have an epiphany, you have like this moment of like insight it's because that your hind brain, your subconscious, is bubbling to the fore because through the act of ritual, you um, shut down your front brain, your thinking part, and you allow your subconscious to manifest and, and it comes up. So that's why you have really good ideas in the shower generally. The same idea here is with, uh, he talks about the front brain. So your thinking brain is an idiot. And it was pretty funny because you kept calling your front brain the idiot brain. And it's because the way your mind works is it is really good at breaking things into small pieces. Uh, it's really good at looking at a piece of paper and saying, this is a piece of paper. And here's what I know about the paper. It's really good at uh, taking huge, complicated subjects and thoughts and breaking it into tiny pieces so you can focus on those tiny pieces. For example, a flip turn. And this is the example that Dr. Alan Goldberg gave in his talk. He said, uh, if you're coming up to a wall and you're doing a flip turn, your front brain is going to think about all the minutia of doing that flip turn. Tuck your chin, lift your butt, look at the corner of the pool where the wall meets the floor, um, start rotating, let your feet go over your head, land your feet on the wall, tilt your head back, lift your arms above your head, put it in streamline, flex your legs, push off in streamline on your back, stay in streamline, blow bubbles with your nose, rotate on your stomach, kick, kick, you know, take an arm stroke, then take a breath, keep going, you know, there are all these small things 
that your front brain, your thinking brain is going to focus in on and that's going to work towards versus your hind brain or your rear brain, which is just going to process all that information immediately, right? It's just going to, um, it, it just does it. It just, bam, you, you, you're unthinking and you do your flip turn, you know, and you do it well because you're leaning on your practice, your habit that you did in practice where you established these behaviors and trained your body to respond to the stimuli in an automatic fashion, right? So you, in a swim meet, you're going to rely and you want to rely on that hind brain in order to be successful with your um, performance. And uh, he was talking about how when you have an athlete behind the blocks and you're at a swim meet and you want them to perform well, should that athlete be in their front brain or should that athlete be in their hind brain? So should they be thinking about all the little details? Should they be psyching themselves up with one of the one of the coaches at the clinic asked, should you ask them to visualize their swim? And I immediately thought, no, you should not behind the blocks have them visualizing their swim because what is that doing? It's putting them in their idiot brain. You know, it's putting them in their their thinking brain, which is is really good at all the little tiny pieces but really bad at doing the whole thing all at once, right? Because there's so many complicated steps. You have to let your hindbrain activate and, and be in charge so you're not an idiot. So you're not making overthinking thoughts and just falling apart in your race. So he, talks a lot of, he talked a lot about how, um, what are our best performances? It's if you look at every athlete and you, you ask the Olympians, you know, when did you... He gave examples like Ryan Lochte. He gave examples like Michael Phelps, um, Caleb Dressel, Kay Ledecky, who I think on Saturday night broke an 800 freestyle record. He gave her an example. Um, and he, because he, he's worked with them and he's talked to them and he said, I believe. Um, he said, you talk to these athletes and what do they say about all their greatest races, all of their... Um, all of their world record-breaking gold medal wins, swims, and activities, they weren't thinking. They, they were just confident in their approach. They were, they were just in it to, to have a good time, to have fun, to, to, to be in the moment, to um, uh, race, to, to just be there. And they let their front brain shut down. Um, he gave an example of this national swimmer that, was getting ready to, she was working hard to get into nationals. She got the cut every time of practice. When it didn't matter, she was kicking butt. She was doing really well. Then the regional meet came and she tanked and she was up by three seconds. And then the sectional meet came and she tanked and she missed her cut by two seconds. And then the last chance meet, the last chance in order for her to go to the Olympics or nationals or something, she failed because she was too much in her head. She was too much front brain. She was behind the blocks thinking about, oh my gosh, I have to do all these different things. This matters so much. I'm totally screwed. I can't do this. And then she failed. And then three weeks later at practice, she went her time easily. She beat the time that she needed to get on the Olympics at practice when it didn't matter because she was in her hind brain. She was, she was in this state where uh, she didn't have to worry about uh, what was going on. So um, how do we get our kids in the hind brain? That that's kind of the question. And he was talking about so when you you send your kid behind the block, and they're getting ready to race or they're getting ready to perform, 
how do you get them out of their front brain? And he gave some examples like the, the slapping the body, you follow the ritual. There's, there's the ritual is about narrowing the focus of your mind. So it's removing outward stimuli so as to focus on one thing. And I talked about this like the one thing uh, in a couple episodes. Um, I also talked about this with Megan Gilbert. I talked about it with um, a few other people from last year's podcast and in interviews. And uh, I even talked about it with Jeff Grace from excelwithgrace.ca and and yoga. Uh, But we talk about how if you focus on one thing and you, you aim your mind at a specific thing, then you allow your brain, your hind brain to kind of take over for everything else. So last year, um, actually a little bit further than that, further back, I was, I stopped really coaching at swim meets. Um, I wasn't doing the, uh, you did all these things wrong. You did all these things, right. Do this on your, your race. No, I just stopped doing that. And it was a profoundly wonderful thing to do. And I initially did it in response to another coach that I saw doing what I thought you should do. And I was like, this is wrong. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go the other direction. Um, And I blundered into what Dr. Alan Goldberg talked about at this talk on Saturday morning. And um, so at a swim meet, I stopped coaching. I I stopped doing that. And my coaching instead was... I just want you to focus on your streamline. Make sure you do a tight streamline on your start. And after your your flip turn, make sure you streamline hard. Um, And then the rest of it, you're going to do great. We've trained for this. You're ready. Just go. And, and behind the blocks, I would get behind the blocks when they were about to race. And I would, I would aim that attention. I would say, you're going to do great. I'm really proud of you. Streamline. And, um, and it, it different, it differed for kids. Some kids would just like kick, make sure you're kicking, get that kick going. You know, I would give them a singular focus, one thing to focus on. And my intent, cause I was working mostly with eight and unders, um, some 11 to 12, some nine to thir- nine to 12, but I was mainly working with the eight and unders that were going to meets and, um, they, I would, I was, my intent was to aim them at one focus to distill down their thinking out, you know, get rid of all that other stuff and, and make sure that they were just focused on one specific skill. And it was a generic, boring, you know, random skill. And it had purpose, but like for some kids, it was like kick other kids. It was like streamline other kids. It was like breathe every two, or it was a very specific skill that was intended to focus their, their, their attention on one thing so they could relax about the rest of it. So they didn't have to worry about winning their heat or raising the person next to them. Or, um, if, if one of the girls came up to me and was like, Oh my gosh, I'm racing against Marnie. She's so fast. I'm going to lose. I'd be like, who cares what Marnie does? Like you've been faster in practice. I, I need you to focus on aiming your head down when you're not breathing. Like, that's the only thing I want you thinking about. And she'd be like, okay, okay. And then she would do great. Um, and, and then afterwards it was, I was praising the effort. I was praising the, um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the attention to the hard work that they put in the, the effort of their race, not the outcome. And then that's another, the, another thing that was pretty resonant throughout this, this talk was that, um, outcome, uh, if we focus on outcome, then it leads to disaster. Um, we need to be focusing on the effort and focusing on the uh, 
process, not on the outcome. So our, our target should not be aiming at, did you get a best time? It should be aiming at how much effort did you put in this race and what's the payoff? And because if you put in the effort, then you're going to succeed. Uh, so, so, so our goal here is when we have our swim, our swimmers at a swim meet and we want them to perform well, we have to get them in their hind mind. We have to remove all those distractions of the front brain and get them into their hind mind. And my thoughts on how do we get them into the hind mind? Well, we prepare them for it at practice by giving them the tools to, to succeed. We give them opportunities to race in a, in a safe, fun, challenging environment, a competitive environment without focusing on the minutia. We aim their focus at a specific singular skill. We frame our practices and our attention at working on one specific thing and then uh, let the rest of it take care of itself with their subconscious. Um, we, we focus on meditative states, on recognizing failure and correcting ourselves. And then so when they are doing their practices by themselves, you know, in the water with their own heads and they can't hear anything else, they're recognizing their, their mistakes and they're self-correcting them. So they're, they're internally motivated to succeed. I think this is a good point to wrap up here um, for this week. I'm going to continue this for next week's podcast as well. And I'm going to go into Dr. Alan Goldberg's second talk, Getting Parents to Work With, Not Against You. And then Bob Bowman, I'm going to talk about his training program and his best techniques for how to set up a competitive swim team and the different groups that you have and what his thoughts are on how to create high performance swimmers, even starting at eight and unders, nine, tens, 11, 12s and high school age. So that'll be saved for next week. Uh, I'm still getting in touch with our um, adaptive special needs host. Um, I know that you're waiting patiently for it, and I am too. So uh, that is still in the works. It will happen uh, one way or another. Um, so still on the docket if you're waiting for that uh, very patiently. So thank you. Um, I do appreciate you listening to me. I think this is as valuable information because it is uh, really good talks. And I, I, like I said, it really validated a lot of the things that we're doing in our programs. And if you're listening to this and doing what we're doing, it'll validate a lot of the things that you're doing too. So um, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, next week, we'll do the second version of getting parents to work with not against you and Bob Bowman's talk on swim teams and how to organize them in training progressions. All right. Thank you very much. And tomorrow we can teach better lessons together. Take care. Mm-hmm.